Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you love the podcast and want to support the show, you can head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow the show on Spotify. It really helps a lot. Also, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at the LCL Pod so you can follow any updates about the podcast. Now, let's get into the episode. The story I'm telling you today is one of those stories that will leave you with more questions than answers. In 2009, a young black woman, Mytrice Richardson, is arrested by the police, but after they release her, Mytrice vanishes, and almost a year later, her remains were found by park rangers. The events that occur before, during, and after her disappearance raise questions, like, how did Mytrice disappear so soon after being in police custody? What does the evidence uncovered during the search for Mytrice say about her disappearance and ultimate death? But most of all, was Mytrice Richardson murdered, or was it all just an unfortunate accident? I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library. Let's examine the chilling case of Mytrice Richardson. Young and beautiful Mytrice Richardson is driving in her 1998 Honda Civic down the Pacific Coast Highway on a glowing evening on Wednesday, September 16, 2009. It had been a few years since Mytrice graduated with honors from Cal State Fullerton with a degree in psychology. Now she's exploring the world around her, the world full of possibilities for a smart, beautiful, and vibrant woman ready to make her own way. Mytrice sees the blue neon sign for a restaurant called Jeffrey's, and she heads into Malibu to grab some dinner there. Mytrice is venturing into new territory. She isn't familiar with Malibu. Mytrice grew up in Covina, California, where she lived with her mother and stepfather. While she's figuring out next steps for her life, Mytrice is living with her great-grandmother in South L.A. Her life is going well. She's making plans for her future, and she has an amazing girlfriend named Tessa. She also works part-time as a go-go dancer for an LGBTQ bar in Long Beach, while also working part-time as an administrative assistant. Mytrice finally pulls into the parking lot of Jeffries. She turns off the engine and waits for valet service, 
But when the valet comes to take Mitrice's car, he notices that Mitrice has decided to sit in his car, which is nearby with the door open. The valet casually asks why she's sitting in his car, and Mitrice has a strange response. She says, quote, It's subliminal. And she mutters under her breath that she is there to avenge Michael Jackson's death. She hands her keys over to the valet, and before she enters the restaurant, she asks if her friend was there. But the valet has no idea who she's talking about. What friend? She tells the valet to keep an eye out for a girl with tattooed arms. Everything about Mitrice and the valet's encounter seems odd. However, the valet doesn't think too much of it. He just warns the hostess that Mitrice is a little weird. Mitrice sits down at a table and orders an ocean breeze cocktail and some dinner. And if you think her previous behavior isn't that strange, it gets even stranger. Intrigued by a conversation happening at a nearby table, she walks over and tries to join the conversation. She starts talking about astrological signs. Mitrice's behavior seems bizarre, but the restaurant staff don't find it unmanageable. Eventually, the diners who Mitrice struck up a conversation with leave, and Mitrice makes her way back to the entrance of the restaurant. But the manager stops her from leaving. You see, Mitrice forgot to pay her $89 tab. Instead of agreeing to pay the tab, Mitrice embarks on a series of weird actions. First, she claims that her tab was supposed to be covered by her new friends she joined earlier. Second, she gazes at a restaurant computer screen as if she's in a trance. Third, she tells the manager that she's from Mars, and she makes some remarks about settling her debt with sex. Finally, she empties her pockets to show she has no money on hand, and instead pulls out a joint. At this point, the manager feels uncomfortable with Mitrice's behavior and calls the Lost Hill Sheriff's Station. On the phone call, according to the Los Angeles Magazine, the manager says, quote, We have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill. She sounds really crazy. She may be on drugs or something. End quote. While the police are on their way, Mitrice suggests that the restaurant manager call her great-grandmother so she could pay the bill. But it isn't that easy. The restaurant requires a signature with a credit card payment. When the police arrive, they explain the situation to Mildred, Mitrice's great-grandmother. After the call, Mildred immediately calls her daughter, Latisse, Mitrice's mother, to notify her about the impending situation. Lost Hills deputies, Frank Brower and John McKay, search Mitrice's car. In her car, they find Mitrice's driver's license, partially finished bottles of alcohol, and less than an ounce of marijuana. What's interesting is that they don't report finding her cell phone, money, or wallet in the car. However, according to the disappeared episode on Investigation Discovery, her phone and wallet are still inside of her car at this point. Another deputy at the scene reports to Deputy Frank Brower that Mitrice appears drunk. So Brower administers a field sobriety test for Mitrice, but according to the test, Mitrice is sober. The deputy then asks Mitrice, are you on medication? Mitrice says no. He then asks, have you ever been placed on a 72-hour hold for psychological evaluation? Mitrice responds no again. Mitrice's Honda Civic is being impounded while she sits in the back seat of a squad car. 
Her mother, Latisse, makes a call to the Lost Hill Station. Since Matrice would be locked up for the night, she would wait until the next morning to get Matrice. Latisse's other daughter, who is 10 years old, is sleeping soundly. Before ending the call, the officer on the other end reassures Latisse that Matrice is in safe hands. If a law enforcement officer determines that the arrested individual is mentally unstable, they are allowed to detain the person as a possible 5150, the official code for a person who poses a danger to themselves or to others. If this is the case, the officer will put the individual on what's called a watch commander hold to watch their behavior further or send this individual to a facility for a 72-hour psychological evaluation. Both instances require extra time and extra paperwork. Despite her incredibly odd behavior through the course of the night, the arresting deputy does not record any of these unusual behaviors in the arrest report. And because Matrice was only charged with defrauding an innkeeper and possession of marijuana, and her record was clean, Matrice is released at 12.15 a.m. on a Thursday. Before leaving the station, Matrice tries calling her great-grandmother Mildred. It turns out this was the only number she had memorized. Logbooks show that Matrice called Mildred four times following her arrest. According to Los Angeles Magazine, officers at the station actually hear Matrice in a conversation with someone on the phone. However, Mildred insists her phone never rang, and there's no way to know who Matrice talked to that night because a payphone which typically records the outgoing calls was broken and Matrice had to make calls from a non-recorded line. Unable to reach anyone and with her car impounded 15 miles away, the officers at Lost Hill Station claimed they offered to allow Matrice to stay through the night. They claim that they offered Matrice the chance to sleep in a locked cell or in the lobby area. And they say she declined both offers. So around 12.15 a.m., Matrice Richardson exits the Lost Hills Sheriff's Station and disappears into the night with only her driver's license and the clothes on her back. It's around 5.30 a.m., a few hours after Matrice's release from the station. Matrice's mother, Latisse, decides to call the station to check on her daughter. But when the call is answered, she's left with so many questions. Latisse discovers that Matrice was no longer in custody and that no one could locate her. Latisse is understandably concerned by this information. After all, Matrice was 40 miles away from home with no cell phone, no money, no transportation, and is possibly suffering from some mental troubles. After ending the first call with the station, Latisse takes a few moments to breathe, to think about the next steps. Where should she begin? Well, Latisse calls back to the station. There, she speaks to Deputy Kenneth Baumgartner. She asks, quote, How long before a missing persons report can be filed? Is it 24 or 48 hours? End quote. The deputy responds, quote, Well, it depends on the circumstances. Normally, I wouldn't recommend doing one that soon. End quote. Latisse fills the officer in on Matrice's situation. This time, the deputy says, quote, You know, I guess probably 24 hours would be reasonable. I mean, if there would be some mitigating factors, you know, where you would suspect maybe something's not quite right. End quote. At this point, Latisse explains that Matrice isn't familiar with the area and that she believes Matrice may be in a highly depressed state. The officer tries to soothe Latisse's worries. He tells her to call back in a couple of hours to see if Matrice turns up. Then they would be able to do something for Latisse. 
but with Matrice's seemingly deteriorating mental state and lack of resources available to her. Latisse fears that Matrice may not have a couple hours. Matrice may need help now. At 6.30 a.m., a retired news reporter, Bill Smith, who lives six miles away from the Lost Hills station, is looking through his window when he spots Mitrice in his own backyard. He yells out to Mitrice and asks if she's okay. Mitrice responds, I'm just resting. And before he can come any closer, Mitrice disappears. Bill Smith calls the nearby Lost Hills Sheriff's Station and informs that a prowler is walking through his property, but he doesn't know what the situation is. He describes the trespasser as a, quote, slim black woman with Afro hair, end quote. When the station sends cruisers to the house, they find no Mitrice there, and it wouldn't be until almost seven hours later that a bolo, or be on the lookout, was issued for Mitrice. The sheriff's department waits two whole days after Mitrice's release to conduct its first search. They deploy scent dogs to trace Mitrice's last whereabouts, and they find tracks from Mitrice's shoes outside of Bill Smith's house. It appears to police that she had been running. To police, it appears like she ran in the direction toward Dark Creek Road, which is in Calabasas. However, the officers don't search the nearby area called Dark Canyon for Mitrice. Mitrice was a resident of LA, so this meant the investigation was to be handed over to the Los Angeles Police Department Missing Persons Unit. But this fact did not stop the Sheriff's Department's involvement. What's interesting, and even confusing, is that three days into the search for Mitrice, the case was reassigned again to LAPD's Robbery Homicide Division. At this point, Mitrice was still considered missing, so why was the case reassigned to the Robbery and Homicide Division so soon? Their explanation is that the Robbery Homicide Office had better resources. They assured everyone that it was not being considered a homicide case. The LAPD decides to search Mitrice's car for anything that may lead to her whereabouts. And what they find inside her car is telling. The LAPD uncovers Mitrice's personal journals. When they read the journals, the content suggests that Mitrice was struggling through a bipolar episode and that she was suffering from insomnia and sleep deprivation for several days. Inside the car, police also find her ATM card, cell phone, and checkbook. Mitrice's story soon hits the media. It's such a strange and bizarre set of circumstances, the media picks up the story almost immediately. But was it because this helpless black woman was missing and they wanted to help get her name out there? Or was it because Mitrice's story was perfect for ratings? After all, Mitrice was a black woman who was labeled crazy, then arrested publicly in a wealthy neighborhood, and then strangely disappeared. It's a story you don't hear every day. Mitrice's family argues that the negligence of the Lost Hills Sheriff's Office was racially motivated. Civil rights lawyer Leo Terrell said, quote, And let me say this as clear as I can. If Mitrice Richardson's name was Spears or Lohan, they would have never let her walk out by herself. They would have escorted her home, end quote. With her name in the news almost immediately, her family and friends gather to search for Mitrice. They make posters and flyers hoping someone saw her and would provide information about her whereabouts. According to Los Angeles Magazine, three days after Mitrice's disappearance, Lost Hill Station Lieutenant Scott Chu sends an email to his supervisor, Captain Thomas Martin, that is suspicious, to say the least.
On September 20, 2009, an email sent from Lieutenant Scott Chu to Captain Thomas Martin attempted to rationalize the steps that led to Mitrice's disappearance. A source for Los Angeles Magazine claims that the email said, quote, She was a little ditzy at Jeffrey's, and a deputy checked her for intoxication. She wasn't drunk, but Loriero felt she was acting unusual and was uneasy about letting her go. In the end, Loriero brought her because of his instincts. The fact that she disappeared validated his instinct. At the station, it became obvious she was well-educated and intelligent, so there was nothing to justify keeping her overnight, end quote. Both Scott Chu and Loriero, the deputy mentioned in the email, claim they don't remember the email or the conversation. In the meantime, the sheriff's department, as well as LAPD, end up chasing false leads, and Mitrice's family tries to acquire jail cell footage, with the hopes that the footage can explain or reveal some insight into Mitrice's behavior that night. But Captain Thomas Martin claims that such footage does not exist. However, a few months later, Captain Thomas Martin reveals something that could help Mitrice's family come closer to finding her. On January 6, 2010, Latisse and Mitrice's aunt, named Lauren, both sit down with Captain Martin and Sheriff Baca of LASD headquarters. In this meeting, Captain Martin confesses that there was actually video footage of Mitrice that night she went missing. According to him, it had just been sitting in his desk drawer the whole time. But Mitrice's family will have to wait three months before they can set their eyes on this elusive footage. On January 9, 2010, four months after Mitrice's disappearance, the LASD conduct a large-scale search for Mitrice. Over 300 volunteers trained in search and rescue operations and over 100 private citizen volunteers search 18 square miles of the Malibu Canyon. The search includes both air and ground searches of creeks, trails, and ridges. They search and search, but Mitrice's body is still nowhere to be found. Although they have yet to find Mitrice's body, what they do find is alarming. Searchers find racially and sexually offensive graffiti on the walls of a culvert, one of those metal cylindrical structures that allows water to flow under a road or trail. To the searchers, the paint and graffiti appears fresh. They notice paintbrushes and paint cans at this scene. However, none of this is ever collected as potential evidence. It has been three months, and finally, Mitrice's family is allowed to view the footage. The department claimed that the delay was due to technical difficulties. In the video, Latisse notices that Mitrice appears extremely agitated and distressed. Latisse also notices that the footage has been edited. In the video, at one point Mitrice is holding a piece of paper. However, according to Latisse, in the next moment, the paper is crumpled up on the floor. Latisse finds this unsettling. She says, quote, When they withhold information, it causes suspicion. Did they cut important footage? End quote. And I have the same questions. It's incredibly suspicious that the video was supposedly edited. If you have nothing to hide, why edit the footage? Also, what was edited out of the footage? Some may argue that the sheriff's department simply condensed the video for the outside audience, just showing what they deemed important or critical to the case. But even so, why not provide an unedited version? The alleged editing of Mitrice's video footage isn't the only questionable detail of this video. Latisse finds one particular moment in the video that is especially chilling. In the released video footage of Mitrice, about two minutes after Mitrice is seen leaving the station, 
a deputy also leaves out of an adjacent door. The department wouldn't reveal the name of this deputy or elaborate on this detail altogether. Nonetheless, this is all suspicious behavior, right? What if the deputy was the last person to see Maitrice before she left the station? What if this deputy even spoke to her? Latisse even considers the idea that this deputy could have done something to harm Maitrice. And with the LASD refusing to answer these questions, I can see why Latisse may consider such an idea. In August of 2010, rangers investigating a marijuana farm stumble upon Maitrice's partially nude remains in the Malibu Canyons, less than two miles away from her last known location. When they look closer, they realize that Maitrice's remains are partially mummified. LASD detectives allegedly remove Maitrice's remains without the coroner's approval, and the scene is never properly investigated, and her clothes are not tested for evidence. And what's even more shocking is that residents reportedly heard screams in the area where Maitrice was found several nights after Maitrice disappeared. Despite all of this, Maitrice's death is ultimately deemed not to be a homicide. The conclusion made is that there was no foul play. Maitrice's family ended up filing multiple lawsuits against the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. In these lawsuits, they claim Maitrice was experiencing severe bipolar disorder at the time of her arrest. What's interesting and confusing is that Tessa, Maitrice's girlfriend, refuted claims that Maitrice was suffering from mental health issues. But in 2011, Maitrice's parents were awarded $450,000 each. The Richardson family also asked the California Attorney General's office to look into the sheriff's office handling of the case. But after reviewing 500 pages of documents sent along with the request, then-Attorney General Kamala Harris replied that it had not found any grounds for criminal charges against the sheriff or his deputies. However, in 2016, the California AG's office actually reversed itself and announced it was beginning a criminal investigation of the case. I'm sure this moment was everything the Richardson family ever wanted since my trees was found dead. They were going to find answers and maybe even closure. Except, on December 30th, 2016, after facing another year without my trees during the holidays and bracing themselves for the reality of another new year without my trees, the California AG's office concluded that there was insufficient evidence to support criminal prosecution of anyone involved in the handling of my trees' case. The current LA County Sheriff, Alex Villanueva, addressed Maitrice's family and the public in a press conference regarding Maitrice's case in 2019. In this press conference, Villanueva said the department welcomed any new information. However, he also maintained that there was no reason to rehash a case that was already subjected to investigations by other Los Angeles law enforcement agencies. He said, quote, There's a difference between wrongdoing and holds in a policy. We can't pinpoint any violations to the policies at the time, end quote. According to Villanueva, the department has changed the way it handles people who may be mentally ill. The department no longer waits to take missing persons reports for adults, and it makes sure that people have their cell phones and personal property returned to them before they are released from jail. These are necessary policy changes, but are they enough? What about the handling of the video footage? What about the inaccurate arrest reports? Maitrice was a vibrant and ambitious woman. She loved to dance and break into raps just to lighten the mood. She entered beauty pageants and marched in the Long Beach Lesbian and Gay Pride Parade. Before her tragic death, 
she was a proud lesbian and in a long-term relationship with her girlfriend, Tessa. Her life was full of color, and although she was entering a darker period in her life and struggling through a bipolar episode, she still had so much life to live. No one really knows what happened to Maitrese on September 17th, but I think it's fair to say that the steps made by the LASD were questionable, and its lack of benevolence may have even led to Maitrese's death. If you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Lost Crimes Library, you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the LCL Pod for any podcast updates. Remember, sharing is caring, so make sure to share this podcast and also leave a review. It helps a lot. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes. This episode was written and hosted by Nisa Henderson, and it was produced by Channing Tapp and Nisa Henderson. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.